Welcome to EPRI Unplugged, the podcast of the Electric Power Research Institute. I'm Amy Mills. High altitude electromagnetic pulse. This may be a somewhat familiar phrase. It's used to describe a nuclear detonation over land that could potentially cause damage to large transformers and substations. However, there are differing opinions on just how catastrophic an event such as this might be. As a result, EPRI launched a three-year research initiative in 2016 to investigate these events, known as HEMPs, including threat assessment, mitigation, and recovery. Here to provide more insight on this research is EPRI Vice President of Transmission and Distribution, Rob Manning. Rob, welcome. Uh, Thank you, Amy. I'm glad to be here. Well, let's start with what prompted EPRI to initiate this study. What was the motivation? Really, as is often the case with EPRI projects, we had a problem and no solution to that problem. So so, uh, in this case, there seemed to be plenty of people engaging in the conversation about what needed to be done. Um, a lot of so-called experts, but very few people really had the factual information underneath that about the threat, about its implications to, uh, specifically as it relates to electric infrastructure. Uh, so the EMP project offers an opportunity not only to explore the true science-based impacts, but to also begin to identify tested options for mitigation and recovery. So what about those doomsday scenarios? What are the opinions out there on a worst-case hemp event? So, so most of the, um, the doomsday scenarios center around the total loss of electricity for an extended period of time. So uh, an extended period of time being years. So you can see why that would be uh, a very bad situation indeed. And th- these concepts come from reports um, that indicated widespread failure of grid components, and specifically those grid components that are not readily available for replacement, those that have a long lead time. And because you've lost these grid components for an extended period of time, it renders society without a viable grid until these components can actually be replaced. And that ends up being the source of a lot of the doomsday scenarios. Um, and actually, our, our work so far has indicated that this is unlikely to actually be the case. And when you say that it takes an extended amount of time to replace some of this equipment, such as a transformer, how is it that it takes maybe a year or more to build that piece of equipment? Well, most, most of these uh, units, uh, large transformers or multi-million dollar units, uh, they're primarily built offshore. So most of these are built um, in, in other countries. Um, and uh, there are extended periods of time to construct them. So it's just the, mecha- uh, the, the mechanical process of building the unit is very long. And because they're multi-million dollar units, uh, you don't need to have a great deal of these sitting around waiting uh, in case you might need them. So you mentioned reports. There are existing reports and studies on electromagnetic pulse actually date back to the 1980s. Of course, Congress created the EMP Commission to study potential effects as we were in this increasingly digitized environment. As part of EPRI's research, more than 70 publicly available reports were analyzed. So what did the EPRI team learn during that process? That this was uh, really some fascinating work. Uh, we, we learned a great deal about, uh, specifically and particularly about the nuclear threat itself. So, so we learned a great deal about the nuclear threat and what we found as we reviewed um, all of these studies. Is, is, some of the studies actually contradicted the other studies. So there were uh, there's a plethora of opinion around what might happen that's out there. 
we found that there were a great deal of people who had expertise um, in area around nuclear weapons. There are a great deal of people with expertise around the Earth's magnetic field. Uh, there are many fewer people who actually understand uh, the electric grid itself uh, who have participated in these reports. So, so uh, many of the reports are, um, are heavily uh, geared towards uh, what should happen or what could happen on a grid system itself uh, with very little actual attribution to testing or evaluation or mathematical uh, analysis of what will actually happen on the grid. And those were publicly available reports. We also had some access to some classified reports as well. Talk about that process a little bit. Uh, yes. Yeah, so so we, uh, we have people at EPRI who have a variety of classifications. And because uh, this information is, in fact, sensitive uh, to national security, uh, we uh, leveraged a number of those classifications to have access to specific data about the nuclear threat itself. So uh, uh, a weapon yields, uh, the impact of those yields on the electromagnetic pulse itself, and what the shape of those pulse might look like. All of that information is, uh, is publicly available because of public uh, release of test information that has been done as far back in as, as the 60s. Uh, but modern weaponry uh, requires access to new information, and we have a lot of people who uh, have worked very hard to, uh, to gain access to that information and to treat it appropriately as it is still classified information. So uh, as we uh, integrate that into our findings, as we study that information and convert that into usable information for others, uh, we have to be cognizant of the fact that we are dealing with sensitive information. So to that extent, some of our reports will be restricted in nature. Uh, some of the outcome will be limited to those who have similar classifications. Yet we will always try to find a way to make as much of this public as possible because it's that public information uh, that we believe actually moves us forward in the argument that it pushes the uh, mitigation potential for EMP forward in the discussion. Okay. And we're going to talk about some of the results so far in a minute. But there's also been field testing that's part of this study. What has that entailed? Uh, we're we're just really beginning a great deal of the field testing. So, so essentially, we are uh, pulsing uh, grid components with energy. So, so uh, we've begun to do some of that testing. Uh, this testing will continue throughout the project. So, so we have another year or two uh, where we will continue to do testing. It's, it's relatively simple. We are taking uh, what we have learned and developed through mathematical analysis, and we are converting that into reality. So, so we are validating our assumptions. So, so as we've discovered through our analysis that uh, that a grid component should react in a certain way, we, uh, we find a, a wide array of grid components that meet that description, and then we test them to ensure that our assumptions around the mathematical analysis are correct, so that in the end, we have a very well-proven uh, a basis for, uh, for what our conclusions are. Um, and to be honest, there are a lot of things that respond in different ways because uh, conditions of equipment are widely varied. Uh, so it's, it's great to have a test that actually brings real live grid components to play and see how those react. So that's our intention, to demonstrate our results are factual, 
uh, to uh, reposition us if they're not so that we understand uh, the areas where we can uh, turn out results that are, in fact, uh, reproducible and are absolutely correct. Uh, and and uh, that's our intention to do just that. And just to kind of set up the study a little bit more, there are actually three classifications of the EMP. There's, I think, E1, E2, E3. What is the difference in those uh, levels? Um, e- E1 is the is the uh, very high energy, very fast uh, pulse that is that that is an, an immediate, almost an immediate response to uh, a high altitude um, nuclear blast. So, uh, it's the charging of the molecules in the atmosphere, and within nanoseconds, the pressing down of very very large amounts of energy. Uh, and it and it um, attaches itself to metal surfaces and it propagates around those metal surfaces. So it creates what looks like a very very large lightning surge on the system, um, only much faster than lightning um, in, in nanoseconds. And typically, the E1 pulse is largely associated with uh, damage to electronic components because of the. Uh, because of the nature of the high energy, uh, it, it's, it can be very uh, damaging to, uh, to the lower, lower level voltage uh, components on the system. Uh, the E2 pulse is, uh, we seldom talk about the E2 pulse. The E2 pulse is the second sequential uh, of, the, uh, of the three E1, E2, E3 pulses, which is why it's labeled E2. Uh, but it almost looks like traditional lightning. Um, it's, a, it's a millisecond type of an approach that that uh, the energy level is is similar to lightning. So as such, we have protected our system pretty well through the years against lightning. So uh, while we need to test it, we need to demonstrate it, we need to understand it. For the most part, we feel good about where we are uh, with the E2 pulse. Uh, the the last of those, the E3 pulse, also called the late time effect, is the most perhaps mysterious of the three. It it actually is an interaction of the nuclear blast with the Earth's magnetic field, and it creates uh, currents along the system that look a lot like uh, DC currents. They're very low-frequency currents. They look like DC currents that are attenuating on our AC system. And because our system is designed for alternating currents, not direct currents, it generates some particular problems. It generates harmonic conditions, meaning uh, reflections on the system that confuse protection devices. But, but perhaps the most serious of those is it, is it saturates the alternating, the AC coils in, uh, in transformers and creates heat in those transformers. And this is the source, by the way, of most of the doomsday scenario uh, groups who who would say that that heat that is generated by the E3 pulse would be sufficient to fail many, many, many large uh, power transformers. So have you been looking at each of those three pulses individually? Uh, We have been looking at each of those three individually. We we began with E3, and we've completed um, a good bit of our work around the E3 pulse. And we started there because that was primarily the the major concern around large power transformers. Those are the long lead time components of the grid. So uh, we wanted to start there and understand that first so we could begin to do mitigation as soon as possible. Uh, We've recently shifted gears. We're, We're all but complete with our E3 work. We still have a little bit of reporting uh, to do around voltage stability on that. 
but uh, we have shifted gears now towards E1 and E2. We've started testing on e- E1, as you've already mentioned, um, and we're beginning to do the mathematical analysis associated with E1 and, and how it attaches itself and moves around the electric grid. This is really fascinating stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a it's an unusual and unexpected uh, phenomena, but it can be uh, it can it can make quite an impact on um, on electricity, which is such an important part of society today. Well, and let's talk about your findings so far. And I feel like we need to just uh, state again that EPRI exists for public benefit, so we are focused on the technical results and technical results only. So you mentioned that you have focused on E three and some of those doomsday scenarios. What have you found in in your results? Well, uh, we've we've issued a number of reports, but but one major finding to date, uh, we've issued a public finding that would indicate that the effect of E3, the late time effect um, associated with, uh, uh, in particular, the heating of the transformer coils would not be as significant as as was originally thought. the, the uh, testing that we did in, included some new information, new, uh, new, new tools that were available to use that were not available uh, when some of the last, last reports were done. So uh, with the addition of those new, new tools, plus we've assumed that there would be a heating constant associated with each transformer, meaning it's a very large piece of metal, so it doesn't instantaneously heat. It heats like your oven. It takes time for it. Uh, to, to gather heat. So uh, we incorporated that time constant into the analysis. And what we found was that uh, many, many fewer transformers would actually fail as a result of E3 uh, following a high altitude burst. So, so that result is a significant finding because it's different from the, the last iteration of reports, which indicated many, many would fail. Uh, and that has become the foundation of many of the reports that we would be out of power for years. So it's a significant change um, from what the understanding around this, uh, this topic was prior to that. So what does the ongoing research look like? You mentioned you'll be focusing more on E1 and E2. You know, what kind of reports can we expect to see in the future? We will have a series of reports yet to be done um, uh, and we will we will gauge each of these reports to uh, to determine whether or not we are able to release them publicly. But in general, what we are looking at is um, uh, within a few months we'll be release, releasing voltage stability studies as a result of the E3 pulse, um, and we will follow that with the implications of the E1 and E2 pulse on uh, grid components. So that's what we're in testing now. We're also in mathematical analysis study of that now to determine what would we really expect uh, from the system on E1 and E2. Well, we'll follow that up with continuing to test that. Uh, We're actually building a very large pulse test uh, uh, rig in Charlotte uh, to do uh, large-scale testing of of combined components. And then uh, as we turn the corner on 2018 into 2019, it's our intention to put all of this together in a single report and to offer a uh, sequential um, HEMP impact analysis that would say, here's what you can expect to see happening on the grid from, in totality from each of the impacts of the, of the uh, different uh, um, profiles of the EMP pulse. Um, and as a result of that, here are some processes, here are some concepts, uh, here are mitigation tools that you might deploy that would help 
uh, remedy the situation or at least position you to recover uh, better on the backside of that. So I'm interested too, you have a team of people who are working on this. This is kind of a unique area of research. What has it been like for them to dig into this and, and really get into the weeds of electromagnetic pulse? Uh, the, the the team on this, they're, they're fascinating people um, and they have they have really become engaged in this uh, in this initiative. As you might imagine, it's easy to see how what we're doing in this space links directly to benefit to society. So, so not only is there a technical mission, but there there's a mission for the betterment of society that's easy to see. So, as we unfold a new chapter in in this study, as we look at things that haven't been looked at before, or we take the old study and we apply new information to them, when we bring new light to the discussion, uh, it's invigorating. And and I think you would find the team um, is very highly motivated. They're very excited about what they're doing. Uh, They're they're very passionate about EMP. Uh, so, So it's been a fun team to work around. Well, Rob, final question how do you hope this research is used by the industry? Um, Amy, our, our intention from the very beginning has been to equip, equip companies with the information they need to, to manage the HEMP risk. So, so in, in our assessment, the reason we began the project, as I already mentioned, was there was a problem here, but no solution. What was lacking was real, good, solid technical information about what will happen on the system, what our vulnerabilities are, and how we might mitigate those vulnerabilities. So, so it is our hope that the information that we provide will equip utilities to manage this risk. And if utilities are effective in managing the risk, then uh, we should see a reduction in the implications associated with an EMP attack. And it is our, our hope as a team that if we can demonstrate reduced implications, then in fact, we are reducing, if there's little to be gained, there's little reason to follow through on the threat. So, so it is our intention that we will not only mitigate the implications of this, but we will also reduce the likelihood of a threat. Uh, so there, we're back to uh, your uh, mentioning earlier of benefiting society as a whole. That's our objective. Well, Rob Manning, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for sitting down with me today. Thank you. I appreciate it, Amy. Until next time, we're shaping the future of electricity. Electricity.